Why on earth would Matthew include this story? It's really pretty terrible PR. If you're trying to share the good news, that's what gospel means, after all. This story doesn't seem to carry a whole lot of it, at least not at first. It is a doozy. Maybe Jesus is busy and tired, and maybe this desperate mother is loud and obnoxious as he tries to interrupt him. But her request is righteous and urgent. And Jesus completely ignores her. The disciples are clearly annoyed, and while Jesus doesn't heed their demand to simply get rid of her, he agrees that he was sent for them, for their people, not for her. But this nameless woman tries again, now kneeling before him, and his response is to call this woman a dog. He calls her a dog. It is painful and uncomfortable and deeply troubling. And it was every bit as offensive then as it is today. When I come upon an especially troubling story in our sacred texts, like this one, it makes me wonder what was happening in the community where it was written down? What was going on for them that they wanted to make sure that people keep hearing this story, keep wrestling with it, keep examining their lives in light of it? Well, as best we can tell, the people of Matthew's community are living in a really diverse place. And at a time when everyone feels on edge, under attack. This gospel was likely written around the year 85, so about 15 years after the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. This was really painful, of course it was, and it leaves the Jewish community traumatized and scrambling to reimagine who they are and how they practice their faith without that center to hold them. And so it is alongside that strife that there is this young gathering of Christians made up of both Jews and Gentiles who are practicing a new way. And they're also crossing paths with other non-Christian Gentiles like this Canaanite woman we meet today. There are struggles for power. There are fights for land rights. There's the weight of making it economically. It is a strapped time for almost everyone. This makes for a difficult scene in which to grow a new kind of community. And this This, I think, is why Matthew holds on to this disturbing story. These people keep telling it because it is real. They keep wrestling this story for its blessing because 
It exemplifies their present struggle. They see the divisions in their community. They see the possibility for connection and interdependence. And they recognize how fraught it can be to bridge that chasm. They are not wrong. Building community in diversity is hard. You know this. And I think sometimes we want to pretend that it's not. It's tempting to believe that we've somehow already risen above the challenge. We haven't. It's still hard. If it doesn't seem hard anymore, it's probably because we aren't really engaging or because we're too siloed to come up against people different from ourselves or because we step gingerly around topics that will lay bare our divisions, avoiding them in order to maintain harmony, even if it's shallow. This year, though, these next three months especially, more will be asked of us. The barrage has already begun. The name-calling, the smears, the rallying people to separate themselves by blue and red or by campaigning and opting out or you choose the categories. There are plenty. I have no doubt that the ugliness will grow. And so all over this country, but especially right here in this congregation, we will be asked to rise to a new level of integrity, a new degree of, of reaching to each other, reaching for each other across these lines that seem so ferociously drawn. It's hard even for Jesus. For a good long time in his ministry, at least as it's told in Matthew's gospel, he believes that he has come primarily for the sake of Israel, for the lost and hurting, the poor and the sick, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the outcasts, but still within that house, that people. When he meets this woman, he first chooses not to hear her. She is so other. A Gentile and from the land of Canaan, this age-old opponent of Israel. And when she insists, he pushes her down further. It is in her unrelenting persistence, her insistence that she belongs, that her daughter deserves care, that they deserve a place at the table. It is then that Jesus changes, opens, sees newly before him who is there. It is then from this woman that he understands more fully what he is called to do. People have come up with all kinds of explanations for his behavior, that he's testing her or that he's speaking what's in the mind of the disciples as a rhetorical device or that he's joking. But here again, 
just as he is fully God, I, I believe he is also fully human, which means he's shaped by his specific environment and culture and time. And as best I can tell, Jesus doesn't get it right the first time or the second And my goodness, it is a humbling thing to realize it's going to take you three times to get something right. And then take a deep breath and still do it. And it is remarkable, both the woman's persistence and Jesus' willingness to change course at a time when so many of us might just dig in our heels deeper. Because it's really hard to admit that we've been wrong and to choose another way. But that right there, right there where the two of them stand together, right there is our call. The community of Matthew needed this story of messing up and persisting and finally changing and healing. We do too. This doesn't excuse Jesus' initial responses. It's never okay to, to ignore someone or exclude them from the table or to call them a dog. And at the same time, the young Christian community of Matthew needed this model. And we, we need this model because it is real. We can't give up on each other, even though we often get it wrong the first time or the first bunch of times. And friends, what if in the midst of that painful, awkward, heated mess, what if that movement that begins there is holy? What if it's holy to change? As much as we can resist it, what if that's among our highest callings? You, you who have power, you who have privilege enough to walk comfortably past those who reach to pull you out beyond yourself. What if our great calling is to change and grow and make room in ourselves to hear these others? even if it takes three times to get there? And what if it's holy to persist? You, my friends, you who feel like you may not have power in the troubled equation of our present day, you who fear that you may not have voice enough to change a thing, what if this nameless woman's example is our highest calling? What if the sacred practice before us is to keep persisting towards relationship, towards mercy, towards healing, and most especially insisting that we all belong at this table? This is the way Matthew's community was knit together, even across such a spectrum of backgrounds and through the strife that enveloped them. And this, I believe, is the way we will live into the kingdom 
here in Pleasant Hill, here in America, even now in 2020. The kingdom will come when, with God's help, we open ourselves to change, even if it takes a while. The kingdom will come when, with God's help, we persist, even when the outlook seems bleak at first, even when it remains so for a long time. We cannot give up on each other. We must keep stretching, keep opening, keep reaching until we can truly gather around this table together, all heard, all fed, all healed.